Hello, friends. How are you doing? Stefan Molyneux, Free Domain. Well, doesn't it look like Judge Kavanaugh has been cleared? I'm going to talk a little bit about that and going to get your uh, questions. And again, sorry for people for whom I did not get to the Super Chats last time. I will. I will get there. I'm so sorry. Hi, hi, hi. Look at that. The resistance is in full meltdown, my friends, and there's just a lot to chat about. So come on in. Come on in. So very, very briefly, the Wall Street Journal has reported that the White House reviewed the seventh, count it, seventh FBI interview report regarding, of course, Judge Brett Kavanaugh into his past and found, and I quote, no corroboration of the allegations of sexual misconduct, end quote, against the judge. What does that mean? Well, you know, (laughs) you know what it means as well as I do. It means that I'm going to assume not just the one, not just the two, but all three of the women who came forward and said that he was raping a great face have been proven false, have been proven wrong, and they found nothing. They found nothing. And (sighs) still not tired of being right, my friends. This is the kind of stuff that you support at freedomainradio.com slash donate. So the Wall Street Journal did not report whether the U.S. had concluded a full review of all of the FBI interview documents, but I guess uh, late uh, yesterday, they sent the findings to the Senate Judiciary Committee, and the members had an opportunity to review the report today. From what I was reading, it's like one person is allowed in at a time, and that's it, (laughs) you know, given all the leaks that have happened before, it looks like the full Senate is going to vote on Kavanaugh's confirmation as early as Saturday, which is pretty wild. Leland Kaiser, the woman that um, Christine Blasey Ford said was the other girl at the party when she was somewhere between 15 and 4,000. She was a, a relative of Leland Kaiser said that Christine Blasey Ford kind of threw Leland Kaiser, under the bus. And uh, the family member also sounds pretty skeptical of Ford's allegations against Kavanaugh. If you remember, this is what Ford said. She said, Leland has significant health challenges, and I'm happy that she's focusing on herself and getting the health treatment that she needs. And let me, she let me know that she needed her lawyer to take care of this for her, and she texted me right afterwards with an apology and good wishes and et cetera, So I'm glad that she's taking care of herself. I don't expect that PJ and Leland would remember this evening. It was a very unremarkable party. It was not one of their more notorious parties because nothing remarkable happened to them that evening. They were downstairs. So saying that your friend won't remember it because she's kind of cold and heartless and also is very ill is not very nice. The other thing too, you know, given that the friend doesn't remember it at all, which means probably that Lacey Ford is misremembering. You know, Miss, uh, that, what's that old Kelly Clarkson song, Misunderstood? Miss, uh, <laughs> miss, uh, misremembering. So the relative, this is an unnamed family member who spoke to the Daily Mail. Yeah, so Kaiser, Leland Kaiser, is dealing with significant health issues. You know what doesn't help if you're dealing with significant health issues? 
being dragged into the most one of the most contentious battles in modern political history. The relative said, Leland was completely blindsided by her name being thrown into it all. The first thing she knew about it was when she woke up on Thursday morning and her name was just everywhere. It was crazy, the relative said. And this is, again, family member of, of Leland Kaiser. She said, I think it's quite convenient that Ford named the person who is frankly probably the least physically capable of all of them to stand up and be subjected to questioning or give her account. It really felt a lot like Christine was the one called to the principal's office to give an account of something and just threw her under the bus, you know, just searched for a name. The Daily Mail has reported this relative revealed the mother of two's shock at being named as a witness by a woman to whom she has barely spoken in recent years. And they expressed anger at Ford's suggestion that Kaiser could not recall the party because of the significant health challenges she has faced in recent years. Uh, the health challenges have not impaired her memory. She's too ill. So, and this is the wild thing, right? So, <laughs> so Blasey Ford comes charging down, according to the story, come charging down the story, uh, comes charging down the stairs from the upper story, panicked and freaked out and, and terrified and, and so on. She's like almost raped and, and murdered. She was afraid of being murdered. I mean, and goes charging out into the night or into the late afternoon or whenever it was to magically summon a winged chariot or perhaps a uh, Hogwarts flying car or something in, with which to get home, my friend doesn't even notice, doesn't remember. That would be quite unusual. So, yeah, all of the witnesses have either said they do not remember the party or that it never happened. So that is going on at the moment. And uh, the other thing which you have probably read about is that the left is going completely mental. Like, you understand this, <laughs> when, when Kavanaugh, if Kavanaugh gets sworn in, and I think he will, it's not the end. You understand? This is just the beginning, just the beginning of the panic. And it's um, completely mental because there are Massive protests are going on. Uh, they, they, all of these anti-Kavanaugh protesters, uh, rioters and so on, are descending on D.C. And this is all the stuff, you know, that they talked about when Obama got in. The right was going to go mad. It was going to go horrible. It was going to get tacky and terrible. And, of course, none of that uh, really happened at all. And, uh, yeah, they have all the signs, uh, unfit to serve, F, Kavanaugh, no more rapists in government. <laughs> Can't get to use that when Bill Clinton was around. This We Believe Survivors, ah, oh, it's so clammy. It's so clammy and it's so gross and it's so anti-intellectual and it's so anti-Western. It's so anti-reality. It's so syrupy. It's so girly. Oh, I hate to say it, but it kind of is. I believe survivors. Stop, Kavanaugh. H how do you know she's a survivor? How do you know that there's anything to believe? Because, you know, this is like, this is Logic 101. Logic 101. Believe women. Always believe women. Okay, two women are contradicting each other. Who do you believe? Well, of course, everybody knows that the real answer is you believe whoever's most on the left. That is how women have been um, conscripted, I guess you could say, into serving, serving all of this leftist uh, agenda. But, uh, yeah, see, you got two, my, two white males getting what they want, my friends. The left will never, ever be the same and 
you know, is there going to be, and I guess everyone has this idea, right? Like I'm watching this uh, uh, in the uh, in the chat. So everyone has this idea, like, should they women be pursued for uh, perjury, for false accusations? Well, I'm no lawyer, but everybody needs to understand that if the women are not pursued for false allegations, if the women are not pursued for perjury, if that is what indeed occurred, then uh, clearly, clearly it's just going to escalate. It's just going to continue. You know, they call it the pussy pass, which is that uh, if you have a vagina, you are a superhero, a superheroine, I suppose. You have the cape of a JJ, which allows you to just have bullets bounce off you that would take down lesser mortals. So uh, are we going to treat women as equals? Of course. That's That was the idea. Now, you can't really blame a lot of women for taking all of the benefits of supposed equality while having none of the negatives, right? So uh, it's something I tweeted out recently where I said, okay, men, you can have the draft. Sorry, you can have the vote, but you're going to have to sign up for the draft as well. And the men are like, okay. And then it's like, okay, ladies, you can have the vote, but you're going to have to submit to standard legal definitions of proof. And they're like, no, just the vote, please. <laughs> we won't take that other stuff. Just the vote for us. Thank you very much. And that is uh, natural. Of course, if, if you're offered equality and what you get is massive amounts of sympathy and you get far less jail time and you get lower workplace injuries and you get affirmative action boosted into the stratosphere of business and of the media and of the art world and of academia and so on, and you get all of the benefits of chivalry-protected femininity, and you get none of the negatives associated with equality, well, it's kind of hard to say no to that. It's kind of like going to someone who's just won the lottery and saying, well, you know, the government doesn't really have any money, you see, so if you cash in your lottery ticket, taxes are going to go up for other people and debt is going to accrue to the unborn and and even your own taxes will go up a little bit to pay for You understand. <laughs> They'll be like, out of my way. I'm going to cash in my lottery. You, It's the system. Do I blame the individuals? Well, of course, you have to have still individual responsibility. Otherwise, you could blame everything on the system and the system would therefore never change because nobody would have any agency inside the system. But, but nonetheless, there still is a system at play here. And everyone who gets mad at women for taking these kinds of unjust advantages, yeah, it's kind of tough, kind of tough to avoid that stuff. So the one thing I did want to say, I mean, this this battle was a long time coming. And without a doubt, the battle didn't really happen if the Republicans just continued to roll over. That's one of the things that I found most interesting about Trump was Trump was not going to roll over. Trump was going to fight for what he thought was right, was going to fight for uh, his values, was going to fight to provide what he promised and wasn't going to back down. And that everybody knew with half a brain going in. And so it was a way of exposing the left for the hysterics that they are. And this sounds like a blanket condemnation of the left, and it's not. The left, like all bullies, have been emboldened by the compliance and surrender of everyone else. Everyone else has just said, okay, fine, fine. You're, you're having a tantrum. You want something. 
okay, fine, you can have it. Oh, just leave me alone. You know, like we've all seen this, at least I assume you've seen it. I certainly have. All seen, seen this kind of stuff in the, um, uh, in the uh, supermarket, right? So in the supermarket, sorry, I was just rebooting. I was just, oh, am I, is my mic made way too loud? Mic's okay, right? Sound is all right. So in the supermarket, there's some kid having a meltdown. The kid's like, okay, fine, here's your candy. Well, all you're doing is paying for the next meltdown to making sure that the next meltdown occurs. So the left is doing what they do because it has worked for an enormous amount of time. It has worked for a very, very long time. It has worked for 60, 70 years. Uh, more, really, if you go back to the left, the hard left communist infiltration of the government, US government in the 20s and 30s. So it has really worked. Now, when something continues to work, guess what? You don't tend to change it. So again, I'm not saying the left has no agency. They certainly do. But, but I will say that the left has also been emboldened and has been complied with, and thus the bullying has been fed. So this gives the left a great chance to give up the bullying and to start negotiating. And I know there are those of you who are out there like, they're never going to negotiate. They're never going to, always going to be, right? Well, let's find out, shall we? Because if we don't even try, then it's just going to escalate to open conflict. So the left Kavanaugh has said that Roe v. Wade is settled law. It's not going to particularly reopen. The left may be scared. The birthright citizenship may be ended. The left, um, the, see, the left, having lost the intellectual argument many decades ago, they've turned to demographics, to mass immigration from the third world in order to stuff the ballots. And also what they've done is they have turned to judicial activism. In other words, if they can't convince the American public to vote for them so that they can put in the laws that they want, they just use activist judges to get the laws that they want. The American uh, population was never asked if birthright citizenship, if anchor babies would be okay with them. Of course, they were never asked, right? And so because the left want to use immigration and judicial activism to win the war of ideas and get power, well, Trump stands between them, they perceive, and the immigration, and Kavanaugh stands between them and judicial activism because he's a respecter of the Constitution, asterisk not so much including what I would consider a rather significant deviation with his support of the Patriot Act. But the left is going mad, and they'll survive. They'll survive. Walk towards the fire, leftists. Walk towards the panic. Embrace the anxiety. You know, you won't get what you want. Your screaming and your tantrums and your violence doesn't look like it's getting you what you want. In fact, now that you are pushing back, now that you're pushing back, you're getting less of what you want. Because they went so hard on Kavanaugh, people are like, whoa, these guys are crazy. This is insane. This is dangerous. These people are mental. So they're actually getting less of what they want. So the tantrum has kind of turned the corner from being a very effective weapon to being a weapon that goes off in your face rather than hitting the enemy that you want to take down. And that's very anxiety-provoking. Bullies, when someone stands up to a bully, the bully kind of freaks out. The bully gets very upset. And then what happens is, miracle of miracles, I mean, some bullies will have a complete meltdown and it's a, what does Jordan Peterson call, call it, an unwilling, unwilling descent into the underworld or something like that, or just, you know, a collapse of a personality structure that's unsustainable. So, but other people would be like, ah, you know, I thought it was going to be the end of the world. It turns out life continues, life goes on, and maybe I was just getting a little bit hysterical about all of this stuff that was bothering me so much. 
And then maybe, just maybe, we can start to have a rational conversation. But uh, I'm telling you, it's it's healthy for people to be confronted with their fears and realize they can deal with them and survive and perhaps even flourish. So I'm still working on the song <laughs> that uh, um, I'm going to pop, uh, that I'm going to s sing when, if and when he gets uh, finally confirmed. But uh, let's go to the super chats. Paul Gregory, you make more sense than most. Well, I'll take that. Thank you very much, Paul. Joanne Bologna. Hey, we talked the other day. Thank you very much. Uh, the DSA is a major threat. An ex-friend of mine was paying, fi paying fines to gain rank in Marxist teaching, classless society. Eh? Researching Marx led me to your first vid four to five years ago. Thank you. All right. So, oh, the Democratic Socialists of America. Oh, yeah. No, listen, <laughs> there's no such thing as democratic socialism. There's just socialism that is horrendous to people, to humans, and um, you can put the word democratic in front of it. It doesn't change the fact that everyone ends up starving to death. So I agree. Um, you know, I've heard tell, I won't sort of say from who, but I've, I've heard tell that there are dozens of pretty hardline outright communists in the Democrat Party, and they really are dominating a lot of what is going on. And that's <laughs> Sing Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue. Hmm. Thank you. Has to be a Freddy song? Yeah, maybe. That's very optimistic. Uh, so uh, Joni Bologna also says, I deeply believe that even low intelligence people with more money than sense, me, can learn principles and do right regardless of intelligence because of your UPB. I'm hoping not, I'm not proven wrong. So uh, Joni, I just wanted to mention, ooh, so exciting. So I just um, have finished the audio book for the new book, Essential Philosophy, which really goes uh, deep into the universally preferable behavior, a theory of ethics, and I hope it will be something which will help break it through because I get UPB. I've done it. A whole, I've explained it a whole bunch of different ways. I'm hoping at one sort of compressed, relatively entertaining book about it, which also has platonic style dialogues, will actually help uh, people to understand it. Uh, Jay Case says, I think Ford should be a guest on the call-in show. Her ACE is likely eight. Well, there are a lot of rumors about uh, Blasey Ford. And, uh, you know, I, I try not to deal too much in the rumor mill uh, because uh, it's really tough. And, um, I, you know, clearly where she's ended up, I don't think comes from a very positive place when it comes to childhood. But uh, I guess uh, maybe that will come out. Uh, maybe it won't regarding her childhood and, and what happened and so on. I mean, it is to me interesting that I don't really see her family much around. Her friend, the FBI agent, I think the FBI agent who quit in 2016 around the time of the Trump election, her friend was there at the hearings. I haven't seen a lot of her husband or, or, or her kids or, or anything like that. I don't think that her kids are old enough to, to participate any more than Kavanaugh's kids are, but uh, it is interesting. I don't know much about her history, her childhood, and uh, it is, yeah, I, I've heard this MK stuff. I've heard about, you know, the, the associations with the CIA and, you know, the, the, her participation in a paper that seemed to teach memories through self-hypnosis and so on, but don't you guys find it strange? Don't you 
find it strange that the FBI can do something this quickly. <laughs> I mean, how long? How long were they investigating Hillary? A year? Was it 18 months? Something like that. And then they made up this thing called, uh, well, she didn't have intent. Like intent is not even part of the crime. But um, yeah, just, uh, it's crazy. But now, you know, what is it? Five, six, seven days. They could just, yeah, close it off. They could scan 38 years and a whole bunch of accusations and boom, find that there's nothing. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in the FBI. Are they trying to regain their, the, the respect from the American population? I don't know. It's really, really, uh, really hard to know. Uh, Stefan Molyneux says you cannot be friends with people that wear Nikes. <laughs> Lost all respect for Molyneux. <laughs> Uh, how delightful that's from Peter last. I, it's funny, you know, <laughs> I don't know, Peter, what other kinds of people you have in your life, but when you mischaracterize and straw man my argument and then say, I've lost all respect for you. <laughs> You're just some guy typing in the internet. What the hell do I care whether you respect me or not? Like I don't, I mean, I'm sorry. This is kind of sad. Like these tiny little swords, you know, like you ever see those swords that you stick through fruit if you're going to get some fruity drink on a tropical island somewhere. It's like I'm showing up with a broadsword and these people out there with these tiny little plastic straws. And it's like, well, I've lost all respect for you. It's like, dude, I don't even know you. Why the hell would I care about your respect for me? <laughs> you know, my my job is to have respect for myself. My job is to have the respect of loved ones. My job is not to be manipulated in this pitiful way by somebody out there who's saying, I lost all respect. Or it's like the people who say unsubscribed or I'm out of here. Or another one that you see a lot of the internet is blah, blah, you lost me at blah, blah, blah. You know, like you lost me at X, Y, and Z argument or fact or data or tangent or whatever. You lost me. And it's like, no, you decided to quit. Like why <laughs> my, my conscience, my, my goal, my focus is on the reason and the evidence and the most effective way to communicate them. So this idea that it's like, I've unsubbed you. I lost all respect for you. I've taken my ball and I'm going home. <laughs> it's just like, I'm sorry. Like, I want to liberate you from that kind of pathetic manipulation because it's really sad. It's really, you think that you're somehow controlling me. But what you're doing is you're using these sad little manipulations rather than analyzing an argument. I did not say you can't be friends with people who wear Nikes. And again, I hate to defend myself because idiots are going to misinterpret what idiots are going to misinterpret no matter what. But uh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, Colin, Colin Kaepernick seemed to be kind of a fan of Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro was a murderous dictator and, uh, you know, got thousands of political enemies slaughtered and was great friend, a great friend and supporter of the child murderer Che Guevara. And so if Nike likes a guy who likes, I mean, you, you, it's more than a mass murderer. Like Jeffrey Dahmer killed, what, a dozen or two dozen people and, and ate a bunch and, and so on. But that's nothing compared to what Fidel Castro did. I mean, the guy slaughtered thousands and thousands and thousands and turned Cuba into an island prison from hell. People starved, people committed suicide, people risked shark-infested waters, exposure, death by thirst, just to get away from this hellhole. The guy was the Hitler 
of Cuba, you understand, right? And because he invited the Russians to bring those missiles in in 1962, kind of dragged the... Uh, the world to the brink of nuclear annihilation. Also, Ca um, uh, Castro uh, uh, and, and Che Guevara, all very keen on, on nuking U.S. cities and, and planning terrorist attacks, even worse than 9-11. So, yeah, sorry if, uh, if somebody's a big fan of the Hitler of Cuba. Yeah, I'm not going to support them. I mean, if you're not going to wear a T-shirt with Hitler on it, then don't get mad at me for saying, you got to I mean, just bring the facts. It's not because they wear Nikes. Yeah, it's, it's retarded. It's a retarded thing to say. And you know, you know it's retarded. And you know that you're misrepresenting. And it's petty and it's pathetic. No, it's not because they wear Nikes. It's because Nike pays a guy who likes the Hitler of Cuba. And uh, sorry, maybe you have a different standard for friends. But if people are big fans of genocide, well, mur mass murdering dictators, uh, yeah, maybe you want to be friends with them. I um, I don't. <laughs> so anyway, um, Edward Murray, thanks for the content you provide, Stefan. What happened to True News? I enjoyed those episodes. Salute. Well, you know, I got to tell you, um, that's what I really I miss. I miss a bunch of things in the show, and and things are just moving so fast these days. And this, we're really coming to a crisis point uh, in in the West, and, and and it's happening in America at the moment. It'll happen in Canada probably next year. And I, it's, ju it's just a lot of current events, a lot of current affairs. And I have been, you know, for those of you who like the more abstract philosophy as I do, I've got this book coming out, which is just no current events, all abstract philosophy, uh, which is to me the big joy and, and beauty of why I got into this uh, whole crazy field to begin with. So true news has just become the default position of the show to deal with the uh, current events on a... Uh, uh, on a uh, from a philosophical standpoint. So, all right, uh, we have a question from Eric Gailey, who says, "What did you do with your daughter in screen time? How much TV, YouTube, etc.? I'm considering taking our one television down. Your thoughts, please." Yeah, you know, screen time is a challenge, and uh, <laughs> I'm actually going to mention, as I'm sure you're aware, screen time not just a challenge for the not just a challenge for the children, not just a challenge for the children. So I am trying to wean myself off uh, um, uh, checking the news and and all other stuff that I do uh, when I'm not actually doing shows. So I'm trying to cut back my own screen time. Try and find something that your kids enjoy doing more than being on the tablet or being on the computer. So get them involved in conversations, get them involved in a board game, get them involved. Uh, I do role playing with my daughter, which is kind of like a no dice verbal only kind of Dungeons and Dragons, which is great fun. And just the, the challenge is you have great competition for your children's attention span when it comes to tablets and computers and great competition. You know, you can look at it as a bad thing. Oh, you can look at it as a good thing. You can look at it as a bad. Like, if, let's say you want to date some beautiful woman who's smart and 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 sexy and and brilliant and and funny and all that. Well, there's going to be a lot of competition for that woman. And you can either say, "Well, that's a terrible thing. Uh, I just want to be with her on a desert island, so she has no choice." Or you can say, "How do I up my game so that I can win this woman?" And in the same way, there are. Lots of people out there, millions, I guess, of people out in the world who are 
really trying to get your kids addicted to these games. You know, log in and you get these gems or you get these whatever. Flutterbucks. And, you know, they're good. They're good at what they do. But you're the parent. So find some way that you're more interesting than a video game. Up your game. Up your, so to speak, up your um, conversation. Up your engagement. Up your whatever your kids you know, physical challenges, take them to a park and, and play follow the leader and do difficult stuff. Like there's a lot that you can do. And, you know, it's certainly fine. You can say to your kids, you know, you spend a lot of time on the tablet. You can explain about the eyesight stuff. You know, a lot of kids are needing glasses sooner because of the tablet. You can also have a great conversation about how they actually engineer these games to be addictive, how they engineer the games to be addictive. And you can talk about their motivations and you can talk about you know, or the thing with video games too is that there's a there's a loss that accrues over time that people get really messed up by, and I've seen this happen quite a bit. In that, you know, people spend I don't know, like from the age of of ten to twenty five, like fifteen years playing video games, like five, six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen, twenty hours or more a week, and then they look back and they say, "What did I get? What did I get out of that? What did I get? Anything real?" anything tangible, any marketable skills? Did I learn how to make music? Did I learn how to read better? Did I learn how to think better? No, you just got stimulated by these pixels. And I like video games. I, I do. I like uh, video games. I don't actually have any good uh, good one at the moment. I haven't had four. Oh, I indulged myself. I played Serious Sam 3, which is a completely mindless, <laughs> it moves, shoot it. Uh, but but fun. Uh, I haven't finished it. But um, uh I, I like me a mindless brain dead shooter. Uh, and uh, since Doom 2016, I haven't really found a good one. But um, yeah, so that you can explain to your kids too, like, what are you getting out of this? You play some game and, and you get some gems and you read something, something. And it's like, okay, but what are you actually getting out of this? Like, what, what, what real skills? What are you getting better at conversation? Are you learning more? Are you right? So it's a combination of enlightening them to the negatives of uh, particularly tablet games and upping your game to the point where you can compete with the tablet and win. Just banning stuff. I mean, it just creates forbidden fruit and resentment and all that kind of stuff. So I hope that helps, Eric. Edward Murray says, thanks for the content you provide, Stefan. What, oh, sorry, true news. <laughs> yes, my apologies. Hayden Richter says, I thought about being a life coach, but parents are paying for college. Any thoughts about life coaching versus licensed therapy. I've heard you say something about this before. Well, Hayden, I think before being a life coach, you need to have a life. And that's kind of important. So to be a life coach, uh, as far as I understand it, in most places, it's unlicensed. Like you can just say, I'm a life, co life coach. And uh, you can go and, and do that. There are some places where you can become an accredited life coach, but you can just use, it's not a reserved term like psychologist or psychiatrist or doctor or whatever. And so... I don't know about being a life coach if you're so young that your parents are paying for your college. What success do you have under your belt that would legitimize you being a life coach? I don't know. Uh, so, I mean, if you're just facile with language and you vaguely encouraging and know some positive phrases and so on, I don't know that that's really that positive a thing to bring to the table. So, you don't have to go to college. In fact, if it's the um, if the arts, don't go to college, man. I'm telling you, I know it's hard. It's, I know it's hard. But if it's the arts, you are going to pay 
in blood, soil, soul, sweat, and tears when it comes to going to college. You'll be taught to hate the West. You'll be taught to hate whites. You'll be taught to hate males. You'll be, oh, it's just, it's absolutely wretched. It's a wretched, it's, it's, if you have any kind of integrity and decency, it's like running into hailstorms naked for four years. And so, yeah, I don't know about life coach, you know, maybe you're some stone genius uh, and, and can do it, but go out and have a life first and then, then become a coach. Ryan Waters, thank you very much. Uh, okay. That's not an obvious word. Let me just see what this. Um, ah, homeschooled Christian farm girl. I think that is. Uh, she says, thank you so much for all you're doing, Stefan Molyneux. My whole family loves your videos. Please keep your crusade for truth alive. I certainly plan to. And thank you very much for your support and your kind words. Yeah, it is funny, you know. Most times, most times I head out, I meet someone who's a fan of the show now. It's really changed, just even over the last six to 12 months. I remember the first time it happened. It was pretty, pretty cool. But yeah, most times, like I was in the bank today and, and, and I met someone. I was at uh, dinner uh, uh, the other night and, and met someone who came up and was very enthusiastic. So it's really cool out there, guys. There is a... Um, it's, you know, a think club, you know, the first rule of think club is you always talk about think club and we have this think club that's going on like the secret handshake. And, uh, it's really, uh, it's fantastic. And I, I'm always thrilled. You know, I've never, never had a negative experience meeting someone, uh, who's a fan of the show, who knows about the show. It's always extraordinarily uh, positive. So, um, thank you everyone for making that possible. Kevin Flatt says, hey, Stefan, liberals have control of most media and tech. Anything you think you would do differently to spread your message if you had significantly more funds? Now, that's that's a very, very interesting question. And yeah, I mean, you could certainly say that you could set up some big giant studio. You could uh, advertise like crazy. You could uh, do lots of things to try and widen or broaden the uh, audience and i'm of two minds about that one is like that would be cool and that would be big and i could certainly manage it because i've got a lot of entrepreneurial experience but the more you look like the mainstream media i'm not sure that, that you get the right people i'm not sure that you get the right people i kind of like being the um the under the radar guy that that is uh, uh very uh very cool for me so i don't know I don't know. Let let me get significantly more funds, and <laughs> I'll let I'll let you know, Kevin. But that's a, that's a very interesting question. It, it was reminded me the other day of something my brother and I did when we were little kids, which is you know, if you had a million pounds, right back in England, if you had a million pounds, what would you buy? And uh, I just remember, I remember it being for some reason we wanted a, a seven forty seven. Actually, I no, you know what? I know why we wanted. It. I, I know why I wanted a seven forty seven. Yeah, I know they're more than a million bucks, a million pounds. But I uh, I wanted to go visit my father, who was uh, in Africa at the time, of course. All right. Matthew Wysidus says, hey, Steph, games are my best memories of childhood, or at least playing them with friends. It was a real part of my life, even though I didn't get a degree with them. I actually lost a lot of joy giving them up for years. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, see, back in the day, games for me were a great entree into learning how to code. I remember uh, writing Missile Command for a pet computer using ASCII graphics back in the day. And I created a space exploration game and I created a Zork-like game uh, where you use just text to, to maneuver around and do stuff. And 
um, it was great. It was great. So I have a lot of good memories of games as a child, but um, for me, it was the entree to coding that ended up with me being able to do something that was really, really cool. So, uh, return to return to Zork for the win. You know, I had a friend. For some reason, if in in Zork, you could have more descriptions or less descriptions, and I remember my friend loved to type into Zork maximum oh no verbosity, and it would come back maximum verbosity, maximum verbosity, and he was like really excited about that. And anyway, he ended up speaking for a living, I guess, like me. So. Uh, I see pattern says, hey, Steph, could you attempt to take me through and decipher Ford's thought pattern slash intent? Well, that's a good question, too. And I can't because I, I mean, I can't read her mind. I did get a very strong sense of extraordinarily deep levels of commitment to manipulation. And that you don't just learn overnight. Like, do you remember that really like... You know, she did that little lamb, lost to the headlights, frightened look. You know, this is a woman who who stands up in front and lectures people at university, and she's a you know top-notch researcher in a psychological field, and you know, just this little lamb. And you know, if if her ex-boyfriend is right and she knows a huge amount about polygraphs, then when she's like, Oh, the polygraph took a long time and I was I was scared, it was it was nervous, it was like right. I mean, this just if the ex-boyfriend is right and she knows a lot about polygraphs then the fact that she can lie that convincingly, and I know smart people, smart people I respect who are very much taken in by uh, this woman and, and believe that she was credible and believed her. I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I, I didn't believe. I mean, she, you know, <laughs> I'm not trying to say it's like my mom. It's a little like my mom. But uh, I did not find her. Not You know, like Kavanaugh's passion and his emotion. You know, when you have genuine emotion, and you're trying to be professional, then you are trying to keep it down. You are trying, that's why Kavanaugh paused so that he could gain self-control and watching him gain self-mastery was quite an impressive thing. Self-mastery is very, very important. But her, it felt like, uh, it's just a feeling, it's not an argument, but it felt like she's trying to squeeze, you know, you you got that toothpaste and like there's like three micrograms of toothpaste left and you're too lazy to go to the cupboard and get a new one. And it's like, that's what it seemed like for the emotions for Blasey Ford. She had this generic wounded emotion. See, this this I know from back in theater school and just from my own emotional experiences. I'm sure you guys feel the same way, or maybe you don't, and, and you can let me know. But when you are talking about something that's really difficult in the past, something that was enormously traumatic, you go through an enormous number of emotions. You go through an enormous number of emotions. So let's say that something happened that was genuinely terrifying to you and you thought you might be raped or you might die or something like that. Then you have a very complex web of emotions that goes on because we're all very, very complex when it comes to our emotional lives. I call it the ecosystem. You know, like we're not just one person with one thought and one emotion and then it switches to another. Like we're just complex and there's lots of ambivalence and so on. So someone like if we just look at someone like Ford's story, then the emotions that I would expect to be there, I'm not saying this is perfect. I'm just saying what I would expect to be there. The emotions would be something like this. There would be shame. 
there would be self-recrimination. I'm not saying these are all just. I'm just saying these emotions. are. There would be self-recrimination. Like, why did I go to this party against my parents' wishes? Why did I go to a party dressed so flimsily? Why did I go to a party and drink a beer when I was 15 and I was there, or there were older kids around? Why did I go upstairs? Why was I not more careful? Why didn't, why didn't I get my friend out of there afterwards? And so there would be some self-recrimination. Again, I'm not saying it's just or she should feel it, but if you've ever done something stupid that's got you into trouble, part of you says, well, I should have been smarter. I should have been wiser. I should have been more careful. It's, it's an inevitable response because that's what keeps you safe in the future. That's what keeps you safe in the future. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I was six years old, and I was in uh, Africa, South Africa. No, actually, it might have been, no, South Africa. And there was a nettle there. I knew it was a nettle, and I'd been told, don't touch the nettles, because they sting. And I remember reaching out, touching the nettle. I was curious. And it stung, let me tell you that. So was that my fault? I got some self-recrimination, like that was kind of dumb, right? And you want that because if you don't have any self-recrimination, then what happens is you end up putting yourself in dangerous situations again. So even if everything that Blasey Ford said is true, the lesson is don't go to uh, a party when you're 15 and drink alcohol when there are older boys around who are drunk, when you're dressed kind of skimpily and you don't have any way of getting home. Now, People make that mistake, and it doesn't justify them being attacked in any way, shape, or form. You understand that. But there's a reason why she didn't want to tell her parents. She said, I didn't want my parents to know that I've been drinking beer at a party with boys. So people avoid this kind of self-recrimination. Like, oh, you're blaming the victim, and it's on. It's like, no, I'm not blaming the victim. But what I do want is for people to be safe, because prevention is much better than cure. So if she'd listened to her parents and not gone to the party, not had a beer, not gone upstairs and all that, right? Again, doesn't justify anything that happened to her if everything she says is true, but you have to have some self-recrimination. Like if something happens out of nowhere, okay, let me give you an example, right? So this has been my week. It's been, it's been tough because um, I had to have a tooth removed. Ugh. Nasty. And the reason I had to have a tooth removed, I'm really careful about my teeth. Like I floss, I use a water pick, I, you know, I, I get them cleaned every three months. Like I'm really careful. I still have my wisdom teeth, like one in a thousand, if I remember rightly. So I had to have a tooth taken out. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with me. It's because the tooth never fully descended. And so it was tough for the gum to stay up. I've had a pocket up there. I've been battling it for like five or six years. And, you know, eventually, and I'm, I'm almost completely off sugar and, and I'm just, you know, it's just bad luck. And and the tooth got all tangled up in the bone. And so it was hard to, anyway, it was just a mess. So I yesterday I had to go take it, get it taken out. And it was not a huge amount of fun, though not the end of the world or anything like that. So, but for a while I thought, well, you know, did I have some sugar and maybe the sugar got in there and was it my fault? And, you know, you, and the reason you say that is because you want to keep your teeth. And if it means you can't eat sugar, then don't eat sugar. Right. But the dentist was saying, um, well, there was nothing you could do. This was just, it was the only thing that could have been done is when you were eight, they could have taken the tooth out and moved the other ones or whatever. Like this was going to happen. There was nothing you could do. It's nothing to do with sugar. It's, you know, it's the, um, uh, your body was just attacking the tooth because it now perceived it as a foreign object. And anyway, so it was, um, it was nasty. Now 
I couldn't do anything differently. Like I, again, I've taken really good care of my teeth and, and, uh, I barely eat any sugar and, uh, I don't have sugar in my coffee. And, and so, you know, I, I take, I take relatively good care of my teeth, very good care, in fact. And I haven't had a cavity in 20 years and, uh, you know, my gum line is good. You know, oh, I've never had gum disease or so, but it's just like, it's just bad luck. I wasn't going to share it, but it just kind of, Hey, you know, it's just us, us people chatting here. So I could have had self-recriminate, like if I'd eaten lots of sugar and I hadn't brushed my teeth properly or I hadn't flossed, although I've heard mixed things about floss or whatever it is, right? Then I would have recrimination and, and you'd be bad at yourself, right? And, and hopefully that would spur you to change your behavior. But this, I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't do anything about it. And uh, um, so you just got to pay up the money because it's privatized here in Canada. It's very expensive, but you just got to pay up the money and you got to deal with the pain and you just got to push through it and, and move on. And at least I won't have that pocket to, to be concerned about anymore. So, so with, with someone like Ford, I would expect there to be some level of self-recrimination. I would expect there to be some level of shame. I would also expect there to be some level of anger. Like, how dare you jump me at a party? How dare you cover my mouth? How dare you? attack me in this manner? How dare you scare me at the vulnerable age of 15? So I made a mistake, but that does not justify at all being attacked in this kind of manner. How dare you laugh as you go down the stairs? Although, you know, she says they're careening off walls when you go down the stairs. I've never seen anything like that. In houses, there's a wall on one side and a railing on the other side when you go up to the second floor. But anyway, so there would be a lot of emotions. There would be fear as well. Uh, and, and, she, but, and, and so you could sort of go on and on, but there would be a lot of very complicated emotions coming forward that would continually shift over the course of the conversation. And there would also be concern. And that's what I didn't see. See, let's say that you believe that someone, doesn't matter who, could be prominent or not. Let's say that you believe that someone committed a grave criminal action against you. But it was almost 40 years ago. Wouldn't you want to be super careful before going to make an allegation? Super careful. Particularly if, say, you were trained in psychology and you knew about the fallibility of memory, how unreliable it can be, how much it shifts over time. Memory is not like a photo album. Right, memory is like the view out of your window. Every time you go back, it's something different. Something has changed. So you would be super careful. And what you would do is you'd say, oh man, I got this memory, but I, I sure don't want to get it wrong. I really, really don't want to get it wrong because I don't want to become someone who is a genuine victim. I don't want to turn into a victimizer of someone else. So if I'm going to accuse someone of sexual assault, of attempted rape, of even potentially attempted murder, I better be damn sure damn sure that I know what happened. So what would you do? Well, you'd say, okay, here's a list of the people at the party. I'm going to find them. I'm going to phone them up and I'm going to ask them what they remember. If they don't remember it, wouldn't that give you pause? Wouldn't it? 
Of course it would. If you were a halfway decent human being, and then you'd say, okay, well, I got to get more information. I thought it was this guy. Maybe it's someone else who looks like him, whatever, right? So there would also be concern about the accusation that you were making. And if someone had, like, it, it means that no one in her life, right? No one in Blasey Ford's life said, you know, if you want to accuse Kavanaugh of this stuff, you better go talk to everyone who you think was at that party and find out if they have the same memories. Because that's exactly what the Senate Judiciary Committee and I guess now the FBI and are going to do. And you better. You know, if you're going to claim a fear of flying, then you better understand that everyone's going to figure out that you flew pretty much everywhere all the time. I mean, basically, she's a seagull. So I would be very concerned about making such an accusation. And once I found out that all the people who I claimed to be my witnesses said that it didn't happen or or they can't remember it or they never met the guy or, as her friend Leland said, you never met he, she never met Kavanaugh, I would feel very uh, scared and ashamed and, and I would feel terrible. And I would never say, you know, I would never say, as, as Blasey Ford was asked, I would never say, I'm 100% sure. I'm 100% sure it was Kavanaugh. I mean, that's, that's absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. So there would be a lot of complicated emotions going on. You know, anger, fear, resentment, uh, uh, anxiety, and and self-reproach, and lots of complicated things. I didn't see any of that complication. That's what I was looking for. That's what I was looking for. I mean, I saw a lot of that in Kavanaugh. You know, his love for his father, his love for his daughter, and 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 the horror that he went through has deepened those experiences for him. And his his anger uh, at the situation, combined with his Christian forgiveness for Blasey Ford combined with combined, like it's a lot of, it was a lot of complicated stuff going on there, which to me is more authentic. If it's just one, we, we used to call this in, in the theater world, and I'm sorry to use the theater world because I, it sounds like, oh, it's just acting and so on. But in the theater world, we called it like a one note performance. You know, my character is angry. You know, my character is sad, you know, like a one note performance. And the best acting is when there's a lot going on uh, at the same time. A lot of complications, a lot of contradictions, because that's how we live. If something wrong is done unto us that we had even a tiny hand in bringing about, we're angry at the wrongdoer. We're also reproaching of ourselves because being angry at the wrongdoer is very healthy. But if we take no ownership for getting into the situation, how on earth can we avoid it again in the future? We can't. So for me, I was looking for that level of complication. And the fact that she gave to me a one-note performance meant I didn't believe it at all. There was very little emotion. There was whininess. There was some uh, self-pity. Um, but it really wasn't very rich or very deep. And you understand this is not an argument. I'm just saying that that is, for me, why I didn't believe it at all. There was just no complexity to what it is that she was saying. And it is it is very complex. Plus, it seems she has two doors because she has Google interns staying at her place, who I wonder if they had anything to do with scrubbing her internet presence or not. All right. War crimes. All right. Uh, thank you for the super chat. Hello, Stefan. Any thoughts on running for any politically see you running for city mayor or council? Your mental acuity and knowledge would have a great impact on change. Thank you for expanding our brains. 
I have thought about it. Don't get me wrong. I have thought about it. I do believe that I am of the greatest value in what I'm doing. There are lots of other people who can do politics. I don't know that there are a lot of other people who can this effectively communicate the values of philosophy to the world. So, Dark Man Sigma. Sorry, just you need that voice. Uh, Steph, have you looked into Washington State's I-1639, classifying all semi-automatic rifles as assault weapons and more, illegally put on the ballot? I haven't, but... You know, they're constantly trying to take your guns away. Of course they are, because they want power, and an armed citizenry uh, is a polite government to some degree. JCF150 underbar says, Hey, Steph, watching the Senate craziness over the past few weeks has made me think about the 17th Amendment. Will you ever do a full analysis on that, on what the effect? that amendment has had on the United States? Well, that is a, uh, a fine uh, question. So I'm sure, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot more about the 19th these days, but uh, uh, just the 17th Amendment. Um, uh, the popular election of the United States senators by the people of the states, it supersedes Article 1, Clauses one and two of the Constitution. Senators used to be uh, elected by state legislature. I don't have any particularly strong ideas or thoughts about that. And so um, I want to be particularly clear about that. So if you have any good thoughts or ideas, feel free to send them into the show. But I don't have anything uh, particularly helpful to say about that. David Flint, thank you very much for your super chat. I appreciate that. Um. E.F. Ev Feike, Feiker, 01. Maybe you're just trying to make me say a rude word. Would you ever have Ben Shapiro on your show or you go on his? I like a lot of what, I like a lot of what Ben does. I have no particular animus. I think he's relentlessly in and foolishly anti-Trump. But I, I think he may be coming around. You know, like he seems to be tweeting a lot of positive stuff about the fact that there are two Supreme Court conservative nominees, hopefully by Saturday, that, well, one, of course, Gorsuch and now Kavanaugh. So I do think that um, Ben may be coming around to to seeing things from the pro-Trump point of view. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't know that we would have a huge amount to talk about. That's all. I mean, I don't dislike the guy. I think he does some very interesting stuff and he's a very good debater. And I believe he may have mentioned once or twice his wife is a doctor. I'm not sure about that. But uh, I think I've I've heard of that. So yeah, no particular animus. Uh, I, I like him a lot. Uh, he's a good writer, a uh, good debater, and very very sharp. You know, quick on his feet without a doubt. But um, it's not particularly on my list. But you know, if we met in the elevator, I'm sure I'd give him a a nice sweaty hug. All right. Uh, Apple was my idea. It says come back to Australia. You're our only hope. Yeah, traveling and speaking was a lot of fun. It was intense, but it was a lot of fun. And um, I appreciate that. Uh, Adam Sturr. So, yeah, I'd like, like to come back. Adam Sturr says, repeal the 19th. Well, uh, no. No, I mean, I think what you want to get to in the goal of a stateless society is at least to say that only if you're a net contributor to the tax system do you get to vote. That's certainly something that could definitely be in the right direction. Will P says, thanks for all that you do. 
Stefan, well, thank you very much. And thank you for your support. There was another one up here that I thought was kind of interesting. And I want to make sure, sorry if you can hear <laughs> the scrolly mouse. Oh, no, we've gone to the top. Uh, somebody said, I find your voice strangely ha- hypnotizing and off-putting. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm smiling with a... I'm missing tooth and stitches. I'm basically like a, uh, a pointillism uh, bedspread at the moment. Dr. Zaudin says, uh, well, thanks, I guess, through through that super chat. Thank you very much. Noble Savage says, Mr. Owl, have you heard about the BetterHelp scandal? If not, please check out. Internet sleuths have gathered a lot of information. I am almost frightened to look. Does it involve the phrase crisis actress? Let us see. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I've not uh, not really heard anything about it. So I uh, I will not <laughs> give anything particularly valuable or useful. Now, um, yeah, it's funny. You know, I, I just wanted to sort of mention, because I have the platform and venue now, I just wanted to sort of mention that it's always interesting to me when people focus a lot on what they consider to be their mind reading capacity to figure out what I'm thinking and feeling. And sometimes it's really complicated where people will say, you know, Steph, uh, you, you seem to be a bit nervous about this topic. And then you were talking about this and then you focused on that. And then you had this, you know, and it's just like, can you focus on the arguments or are you just mind reading? <laughs> is that, sorry, spraying water on your face. Are you just mind reading? Because that uh, is not particularly helpful. Like I, I always want to invite people to focus on the content of what I'm saying rather than the form or the appearance or the gesture or what you think is going on behind my eyeballs. Because, you know, you don't need to be Scott Adams to know that people are very bad at mind reading. Very bad at mind reading. You know, it's, we, we all think we are Leonard Spock. No, <laughs> wrong guy. I'm thinking Leonard Moulton, Dr. Spock and Leonard Nimoy. And we all think we're Mr. Spock. He always used to call him Dr. Spock. We all think we're Mr. Spock with a mind melt when we are in fact just Kathy Newman with a, so what you're saying is, right? We're not good at mind reading people, at figuring out all their motivations behind what it is that they're doing. And often we will try to focus on mind reading people rather than focusing on the content of what it is that they're saying. Are the arguments good? Are the arguments bad? But no, we we don't want to do that so much. What we do is try and mind read with them, and it's a big, giant waste of time. But what does it all add to, add up to in the end of it, right? Peacekeeper says, so happy to see you doing live events, interviews, and live streaming. I'm going out. I'm going to go out on a limb and predict that you just might break the entire media. Well, you know, they're getting better. I mean, I'm looking at the um the views i'm looking at the views and you know it started off very slow and they're getting better and it is nice and i will find a way to make the video better i'm i'm working on stuff at the moment so uh, i will find a way to make the uh, video better how is it coming across today anyway um is it is it reasonable i mean i know it's like what is it like <laughs> a couple of frames a second but uh it's not particularly great but uh i will uh oh it's great okay good yeah, it's all. It is no. It's not just all in the bandwidth. Uh, there's a way to crush down the video uh, with more video codec compression. So um, that's good. Yeah, 
I will get 30 frames a second, even if it's 720p, and uh, I will I'll continue to improve it. I'm just, I was working with some guys today uh, to make sure I have the right equipment, and uh, I appreciate your patience. But I think that it's, uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's got some potential. I certainly like, you know what it does is it helps free me up as well, because I don't have post-processing to do with this kind of stuff other than the podcast, but I can just do this YouTube stuff. I, I don't need to format. I don't need to compile. I don't need to output. I don't need to upload. It's just, boom, it's right there. It's good to go. And it goes out on its own. And I just need to come up with some sort of thumbnail. So uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I need to come up with a thumbnail. I don't know. So yeah, I, I like this format. And you know, it's really, really great getting these kinds of questions and calls. Uh, not calls, questions and comments. So I appreciate that. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I will continue to do it. I also have uh, this Sunday. I'm going to, uh, and there's a, you'll see when it goes up, there's a reason I'm doing it on a Sunday, <laughs> which is I can't laugh. It's too painful. I'm a hollow non-tooth place, but um, it's weird to have stitches up in my gums, which means that I keep thinking I have stuff between my, <laughs> my well, stuff between what used to be a tooth up there. But um Oh, dear. Where was I? <laughs> oh, no. I lost. Oh, yeah. There we go. So Sunday, I'm going to upload a video. I had to get it professionally processed because it had some audio quality problems. But it's a speech I gave in St. Louis, which I was very, very pleased about, which I think you guys will consider to be quite a departure. And um, you'll see why I'm uploading it on Sunday. But check that out. I mean, it was a nice live speech, great audience participation. And uh, I think yeah, it was one I gave in St. Louis. Beauvais Productions says, thank you so much for your work. Love the live streams. And Bove Productions, B-O-V-E-E Productions. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that. Sliman or Lemon says, hello from Mississauga. Ooh. Ooh. I went to York University from 08 to 12. The president of York at the time called me racist for presenting facts about rape crisis in Congo. How would you persuade? Hmm. A very interesting question. A very interesting question. I mean, I, I've answered this a bunch of times before, but I never like to repeat myself, repeat myself. So I'm going to... So I would say... It's an... Uh, you know... Well, tell me what you guys think about this. Do you think that it's worse to be sexually assaulted or to be falsely accused of being sexually assaulted? What do you think is worse? While you mull over that, I will say a rape crisis in Congo. Yeah, it's tough. You know, without the race realism, then what happens is people look at all disparities between ethnicities with regards to crime as simply a function of white privilege and police racism. That's the only answers that they have. And so if Blacks murder more, a young black males murder more and rape more and steal more. Well, they don't really. It's just them or it's a culture of despair that is brought about as a residue of, of slavery, Jim Crow and, and uh, segregation and so on. And so it's really tough to answer these questions. It's really tough to answer these questions without bringing up race realism. And listen, there's a reason why. <laughs> there's a reason why almost all contemporary thinkers, except for me, Stop at the line of race realism, right? Of, of looking at, I assume, largely genetic, although the proof still needs to be there, but uh, all evidence points to it being significantly or largely genetic. Differences in intelligence and therefore in 
proclivities to criminality between races. So there's a reason why that is the one unforgivable sin. Listen, I'm fully aware. (laughs) I'm not dumb. I'm fully aware that talking about this issue, talking about race realism, has kept me out of the mainstream. I mean, (laughs) it's not that complicated. I'm very good on the mainstream. I'm good on television. And there's a reason why I don't get invited much to go on television other than what happened in (laughs) Australia and New New Zealand. Well, Australia, mostly the New Zealand team that came out, the Maori woman. But the reason why I don't get invited on TV and the reason I don't get invited on TV is because I've talked about race realism. That seems to be the one unforgivable sin that keeps you off the mainstream media. I don't mind. I'd rather have integrity to the truth and integrity with my own conscience than go on television. You know, going on television isn't going to keep me happy at three o'clock in the morning when I wake up as we all do and evaluate my life, whether I like it or not. You know, I get dragged along like a guy being tied behind a pickup truck, being dragged along a gravel road. I get dragged along by my conscience like, okay, (laughs) you're kind of a bully, but very helpful and positive and productive. So if this is very, very important, I guess we will talk about it now, won't we? And uh, the race realism is absolutely essential to understand the modern world and to hopefully avoid some of the disasters that otherwise are going to envelop us. And so if you want to start talking about rape cultures and so on, it's very tough. You have to look at South Africa. You have to look at the massive increases in the prevalence of rape as more and more people from the third world pour into Sweden and other places, you have to look at all this sort of stuff. You have to look at the acid attacks. You have to look at the moped robberies. You have to look at uh, welfare dependence. You have to look at all of these things and all of these things, violent criminality and welfare dependence and other forms of dysfunction, they uh, generally, though not exclusively, of course, cluster around IQ of 85. And if you can't talk about that, I'm not sure there's much point talking about anything else, which is why the one rule of race realism apparently is you don't talk about race realism because they call it scientific racism. Like that is a term that even means anything. <laughs> I mean, it's it's literally like saying scientific superstition, rational irrationality. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's it's silly, but I'm willing to. I want to say it's a good way to put it. I don't want to be on TV. I want to tell the truth. <laughs> I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to be a pirate. I don't want to be on TV. I, I just want to tell the truth. And there's no amount of popularity or, or money or hand clap of the audience that would have me trade in the truth. And I, I'm i going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to guess that you guys are kind of the same way, which is why we're all here together, we few. All right. One or two more. Ah, um, Noble uh, Savage says, BetterHelp is an online psychology call-in company that you are making strong accusations against that I'm not going to uh, reproduce here because I I don't know and I I don't want to, uh, I don't know if these things are true or not. So um, you can look it up, BetterHelp, online psychology call-in company. And if you like them, good. If you don't like them, um, I guess, uh, (laughs) I guess you won't. All right. Uh, Dreadbuck1 says, Steph, how do you test if a feeling is your own? Well, does it serve your needs or does it serve the needs of someone else? So if you have an abusive person in your life, you'll be serving their needs out of fear, anxiety, and fear of repetition of, of past abuse and so on. 
Whereas if you say, well, do I want to go and have lunch with someone who yells at me and calls me an idiot? What's in it for you, right? The feelings that benefit you are most likely yours. The feelings that benefit others at your expense are most likely others. Jessica, thank you for returning. My last super chat, advice on what to teach children about sex or cohabitation before marriage. Help from two former Mormon parents who were very enjoy your channel. Well, that is a good a good question, and I will not say that I'm entirely off that as a parent, off that topic. So I would say this, Jessica. Cohabitation before marriage generally is not a great idea. See, the higher the barrier to entry, the higher the standards, right? And so if you won't live with someone until you get married, then you will choose a better person to live with because you have to marry them and there has to be that commitment. Whereas if you just kind of, like you want to marry someone, it's like 100%. Like when I met my wife, we never spent a day apart after our second date. We were married within 11 months. We barely spent any time apart, like 16 years, and it's fantastic and wonderful. I couldn't ask for a better partner in life. Really genuinely could not ask for a better partner in life. I'd like to say I'm lucky, but I earned it. <laughs> so I would say that if you wait for the 100, you get the 100. If you'll settle for the 60, you'll get the 60. And the problem is if you move in with someone and it's not that great or it's okay or it's pretty good and then kind of declines, well, you're kind of tangled in together, right? And you're certainly not out there looking for somebody else or somebody new. So that's not great. So I would say, um, wait to live together till you get married. As far as sex goes, it's tough, you know? I mean, not having any sexual experience before you get married can be kind of a challenge itself, and it's a lot of gritting your teeth. On the other hand, particularly for women, more sexual partners equals a higher chance of divorcing your husband and, and not being able to to bond. So I would say try and keep it to uh, a minimum uh, and try to avoid, well, you can avoid, you don't get, don't live together with someone before you get married and try to avoid having too many sexual partners, particularly for women. Hey, Steph, what are your thoughts on the Middle East? Anti-rational theocracies that are plagued with cousin marriage and therefore losing 10 to 12 IQ points on average. And uh, until they deal with their theocratic addictions and until they deal with cousin marriage, it's going to remain the Middle East until. All right. What have we got here? Uh, Vance Johnson says, can you talk about your relationship with Joe Rogan? It would be great if you all would chat again, probably would break the internet. Oh, maybe, maybe, but I don't, uh, I wouldn't hold your breath. Uh, no, I'm not going to talk. I don't really, I don't have a relationship with, with Joe Rogan. So uh, Luke Weaver says, thank you for your work. I've only been listening to you for maybe six months, but very hooked. Laugh out loud. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And thank you for your support. So I'm not going to go too late tonight. Uh, I, I, am I gay? Um, I, I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> gay. It used to be such a happy word. Um, what do you think about Catholicism? Well, I did a whole show with Tom Woods about it. And you should check that out. It's very interesting. I am having uh, very interesting thoughts about Christianity lately. So... We shall see. Uh, did you read the article about the fake academic papers presented? Yeah, that was Peter Bogosian, who's been on my show. I've had some issues with him uh, with regards to some of his anti-Trump stuff, but it's pretty it's pretty funny. I have not uh, got got around to reading that, but it certainly is quite uh, quite pretty. 
uh, quite cool what he's doing. All right, so um, I got a couple more super chats. Michael Dillon says, thanks for all your hard work, Stefan Molyneux. Shout out to Dr. Ken Wright for United States Congress, California District 33. Ken Wright. <laughs> Not on the left, I'm going to assume. Uh, right, one or two more. And yeah, sorry, I, I can't do my full hour and a half because uh, I have uh, I have a toothache. Well, I have a lack of toothache. So um, somebody says here, love what we got here. Eric Dieter says, I think kids should not get a high school diploma until they know what a syllogism is. Can you explain a syllogism? Well, of course, what you want to do is you want to go to my uh, book called The Art of the Argument and uh, go with that. Uh, so it's a kind of logical argument using deductive reasoning to apply, to arrive at a conclusion. So you have uh, uh, propositions which lead inevitably to each other. And, you know, the, the typical one that is used is, is all men are mortal. Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. And uh, it would be great if more people couldn't graduate high school without knowing what a syllogism is. But of course, that would require teachers knowing <laughs> what a syllogism is. And yeah, it seems kind of possible that we might need more male teachers to be able to achieve that. So Michael Ryan, in my eyes, it seems the amount of people living meaningless, nihilistic, painful, and or lost lives seems rampant today with the death of God and single moms. I was wondering your thoughts on this. People are in an enormous amount of pain these days. Uh, our material plenty, which is anxiety to provoking to anyone with half a brain because it's all debt-based. Uh, people are living very unhappy lives these days, quite miserable lives in many ways, uh, and uh, very anxious for the future, um, demographic uh, replacement, national debts, uh, the encroaching power of collectivism on the left. It is very, very tough. So there's hope, but we all got to become wiser as much. Somebody says, for a, for a toothache, keep your head propped up. It will help if lower blood rushes to your tooth and hurts more. Yeah, I was slept with two pillows last night. That was their suggestion, so... What did you look like with hair? There we go. Your peaceful parenting is mind-changing. Can you please talk about consumer debt? There's a lot. Do men have to date insane left-wing women? That, that makes no sense. Yet, I mean, if I was a single guy, I said this in a tweet, if I was a single guy, there's no, I would, okay, so a friend of mine years ago said to me that he would, he, he never date, he would never date any woman who liked the Dixie Chicks song, Goodbye Earl. And for me, the great thing about the Kavanaugh, Blasey Ford stuff is just, just ask a woman. Ask a woman what she thinks of it. And she's like, I believe survivors. He's the monster. He's a rapist. Run. Run for the exit. Get out. Get out immediately. That woman will take you to the cleaners. Uh, and by cleaners, I mean she will dissolve your nads in the vast acidic vats of family courts. Do not date someone because she can't think and she's got mindless female in-group preference. And what that means is she will choose her bitter female friends over any connection or love for you in the long run. So uh, it's been a very, um, it's been a very clarifying event. Spanky444 says, hey, Steph, nine months ago, my girlfriend got pregnant. Well, not if you were spanking. We decided to keep the baby and get married. Things going well, but I can see a lot of codependent behavior in our relationship. Any advice? Well, you've got to go back to, to the root. Why are you codependent? You're codependent because 
Um, codependency is, is to some degree an inability to disagree with someone else because you fear the consequences of thinking dependent. Children think for themselves and wish to feel independent and it's punished out of them. It's punished right out of them. So you got to figure out why are you so eager to please and why do you squelch your own disagreements? And that's because you, I assume, were punished for thinking for yourself and disagreeing with people. You know, the greatest thing you can teach your kids is that it's perfectly fine and valid to disagree with you as a parent. Absolutely essential. All right. Robin Miller, uh, Robin Miller, thank you very much. And some Kenny O says, you got to switch to Streamlabs. Dozens of people's thoughts and super chats went unread the other day. Okay, so now I guess my next question is, what is Streamlabs? Oh, iOS and Android? No, I like uh, <laughs> I like it at Windows. Sorry, call me crazy, but uh, I like it at Windows. All right. Let's just see. Do you think a creator is calling you? I've had the thought. Uh, I've had the thought. So... Uh, <laughs> Again, I mean, I've had some very interesting thoughts about religion lately and wait for Sunday when I upload my uh, speech. Uh, someone says, Stefan, the Christianity you were raised in is not Christian. Well, uh, it was Protestantism, Anglicanism. Is that not uh, is that not Christianity these days? Ah, uh, you know, this is the problem, right? Remember the guy arrested mid-show? That, uh, that was something else. All right. So, um, thanks everyone. Uh, let me just make sure I, <laughs> I didn't dump any last super chats. My apologies if I did. No, we're good. Last guy with the Streamlabs guy. Okay. So, thanks everyone so much. Keep your fingers crossed for Kavanaugh. Not because I think he's the perfect judge, but because you just can't bow to this kind of um, aggression. You, you, you simply can't. You simply cannot crumble in the face of this kind of bullying. If you really hate a bully, you let him bully you because it destroys his soul. If you have any care or concern for the bully, you push back in the hopes of saving him. So please don't forget to check out freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. Uh, thanks, everyone, so much for your attention tonight. So great to see you. Thousands of lovely, gorgeous, talented, beautiful, sexy people uh, in here. Rampant praise for you because, uh, well, I just, I love the audience. I love you guys. So have yourself a wonderful, wonderful evening. I will keep you posted as things go forward just in case. If you can't keep up with the endless stream of news, have a great, great night, my friends. We'll talk to you soon.